Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. She, of course, is Stephanie McNeil. It is Friday. And you're watching AM to DM. We made it. We made it, children. Whew. And so did Eminem. Five Fifths doesn't seem to know what to make of the rapper's surprise album, Kamikaze. They tweeted, listening to new Eminem is not compatible with my self-care goals. Yeah, when I walked in this morning, I had no idea this happened. Apparently it did. Yeah, 13 albums. His last, and I am confused. It's like, is it like a surprise album if it comes like just eight months after your last album? It sounds like it's a, like a. His last album was eight Yeah, Revival came out in December. So I'm like, I mean, it I is a surprise. Not on it. It's more like, a, oh, wait, 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 there, there's more. Don't, don't, don't judge me on that last one. That's yeah. the vibe. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's. Uh, there's a lot going on in the album. Obviously, I'm just gonna read the lyrics. Are you gonna listen to it? Are you about that life? No. No, it's no. fine. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the conversation um, is about the fact that he refers to, he uses the word faggot, it's like, it's like blurred or in some way um, about Tyler Creator and, and the lyrics actually after that are like a little crazier. Um, yeah, it's like censored, right? Which I don't really see the point of. If you know you're not supposed to use it, Yeah. why? Yeah would you even use it in the first place? Yeah. I mean, it's 2018. Yeah. Like, yeah. who uses a gay slur in 2018? Who uses it? He does. <laughs> Eminem does. And it's just like, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I mean, the debate with Eminem and using not just, you know, gay slurs, I mean, talking about rape and violence against women and everything has literally been going on since we were in Middle school? Like 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really I tell you it what. It hasn't changed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got really hype for my, like, eighth or ninth grade graduation to, like, you got one shot, you know? Like, yeah. like that was, you we know, like, did, what? I <laughs> Whatever. So I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be especially, like, shocked or outraged. I'm yeah. just bored. Um, I don't have energy for you, Eminem, but uh, here's a great tweet from Ira who tweeted, <laughs> Eminem is too damn old to be calling people faggot on an album. It just sounds like he's mad this particular faggot showed up late to book club. That is a very <laughs> amazing drag. Chef's kiss. That's I mean, really yeah, he's he's a little old. Yeah, yeah, he's I like mean. showing up late to discuss, like, call me by your name. It's like, <laughs> girl, we are we're on chapter two. <laughs> Wrong with you, showing up late. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I agree with you. We have spent so much energy being outraged over his lyrics. At this point, it's like, why are you still doing this? Yeah, it, to me, I'm like, it's not a problem for me. It's not. You just are playing yourself. Yeah. You old boring man. <laughs> Well, I can't add anything else to that. <laughs> well, everyone here in the BuzzFeed News office and on Twitter has been talking about this firsthand report from BuzzFeed News video producer Branson LB. Their editor Shannon Keating tweeted, The day after joining the Prospect Park YMCA, Branson was asked to leave the women's locker room. They were told to use the family locker room instead, where the next week they were kicked out again. This story, my goodness. Uh, Branson joins us now. Branson, good morning. Good morning. All right, first of all, uh, Stephanie and I wanted to say we are so sorry that this happened to you um, and, and really enraged by it. Um, how or why did you decide to speak out in this way? So I decided to speak out um, just so that it wouldn't happen to anyone else. I mean, it was a deeply humiliating experience. Um, that I went through and I also spoke out so that other trans people will know their rights um, if it happens to them. I also spoke out because so that non-trans people will understand what it's like to be kicked out of a space that you're allowed to be in. And so that if it happens in their community that they speak up because I wish that someone would, would have spoken up for me. Yeah, I saw a lot of discussion on Twitter was about 
the women in the gym who you said didn't say anything and were kind of just like, I mean, we don't know what they were thinking, but just kind of were looking at you. Watching, what do you, yeah. yeah, what do you wish they would have done? Or what do you think if someone reads this and wants to be different, they could do in this situation? Yeah, that was so crazy because I mean, it's the Prospect Park YMCA is in a progressive liberal neighborhood. You would think that these women would have, you know, said, hey, this person obviously feels comfortable in this space. They just said that they identify as trans and they they don't know where else to go. Um, so, yeah, I wish that they would have said something and, you know spoken up. Absolutely. It only um, takes one person to do the right thing. One person. Mm -hmm. One person to be a human in that moment. Um, you mentioned, Branson, that uh, there was a real difference in your experience as a gym regular when you were just there as a patron that they were disrespecting um, in the face of, you know, the law. Um, and then when you reached out as a journalist, what was the difference there? Yeah, so I first reached out to the YMCA's headquarters. I uh, left a message with them. They didn't get back to me. So I then reached out to the Prospect Park YMCA. Um, they got back to me and were really apologetic about what had happened. Um, I then reached out as a journalist, as a reporter, and they got back to me. The YMCA's headquarters got back to me within this very same day. Um, so I think that just shows, you know, the privilege that I have as a reporter. And, um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's even harder, you know, it's hard for you as a reporter to get answers. It's even harder for a regular person. True. So this gym also happens to be the one that our mayor here in New York, Bill de Blasio, famously attends. So BuzzFeed News asked him about it. Yep. Uh, a spokesman called the incident clearly unacceptable, but as our head of breaking news, Tom Namako, tweeted, the mayor's spokesman did not answer whether he would continue to patronize the Park Slope YMCA. When asked why de Blasio wasn't providing this comment, uh, his spokesman said, quote, he obviously doesn't personally comment on every single thing that happens in the city. He's so busy, you know, when he's uh, taking uh, those taxpayer-funded car rides to the YMCA and Park Slope that surely he couldn't comment on this incident. It's I'm very, sorry, Branson. We're it's focusing. It's very interesting because, I mean, those of you outside of New York might not realize this, but he does talk about going to this gym all the time. All the like, time. it's kind of like a thing. It's a well-known thing. Yeah, so that makes it even more of a crazy story in my eyes. Absolutely. So, so Branson, what do you make of the mayor's response? I think it's really unfortunate that the mayor didn't really want to comment further on this matter. You know, it's not just a thing, as uh, his spokesperson said. It's a major violation of my human rights, someone's human rights. And it's something that is going to continue to happen unless something is done, i.e. gender-neutral locker rooms in YMCA um, uh, buildings. Yeah, absolutely. So this story went up yesterday. We saw a ton of people talking about it, like I mentioned before. Have you heard anything else from the gym or any New York-based rights groups or any responses that stood out to you? Yeah, so I, so I haven't heard back from the YMCA since the story went up, but I um, got a response back from the Human Rights Commission. They called me yesterday um, and I have a intake appointment next week. Um, and then also a lot of 
LGBT organizations have reached out to me. Uh, Athlete Ally reached out to me this morning, and they're apparently going to write a open letter to the YMCA, um, which I'm really stoked about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Branson, I'm struggling. You've nodded to this, that the fact that this happened to you, you are a journalist. Um, Obviously, you have a platform you were able to access because of your job. Uh, This took place in Park Slope in New York City, um, in a very liberal enclave of the city, even by, you know, our own terms here in New York City. And still, you were treated this way. Um, What would you say to transgender nonconforming people who are watching or reading about your experience who live in other parts of the country or the world where there's not even nearly, you know, this kind of uh, either legal or or social awareness um, and are, you know, understandably shaken by it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that you should definitely do what is most safe for you. If you feel like it's safe to speak up and, you know, file a complaint against the gym that you're going to, then uh, by all means do that because it can make change. Um, but if you don't, maybe, you know, talk to your community members, talk to people around you to, you know, build up that support um, and talk about it from a personal space because I feel like people, it really resonates with people when you talk about, um, when you give firsthand accounts. I agree, I agree. Yeah, well, Branson, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Branson. Um, And I I just, again, I am so disappointed, outraged, disgusted uh, by Mayor Bill de Blasio's middling response via his spokesperson. I mean, again, this is a mayor who campaigned um, on his children's identity, uh, talking about what it meant to be the parent of um, black kids and then what that meant in terms of stop and frisk. This is a mayor who makes a point um, of going out of his way to go work out at this very same YMCA. That was also part of his campaign. I can't stress that enough. It was like, I'm an ordinary guy. Here Mm -hmm. I am at the YMCA. Mm -hmm. And we get it. I'm like, okay, fine. You can't can't fix the subways. It belongs to the, you know, the state government, as you love to remind us, as you love to remind us, this is something you can address, Bill de Blasio. I think you owe it to all of us, all of us to do better. I'm I'm, I'm just disgusted by this. Anyway, (sighs) let's talk about something easier. Colin Kaepernick, Uh, (laughs) quoting the New York Times, Ava DuVernay tweeted, uh, in a major blow to the NFL, Colin Kaepernick achieved a preliminary but important win in his case accusing the league of colluding to keep him off the field due to player protests during the national anthem that he, of course, instigated. A king among us, Ava added. Karen J. Phillips, columnist for the New York Daily News, joins us now to talk about what this decision means and what comes next. Karen, good morning. Good to see you again. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Thanks. To start, so what exactly was the ruling? Well, we found out yesterday from uh, Kaepernick's uh, attorney that uh, tweeted out this uh, press release, kind of like from the arbitrator, telling us what was going on. And basically, uh, ever since this collusion case started, we didn't actually know if this is something that Kaepernick could prove, because it's kind of really hard to do to show that 30 plus owners in the, uh, uh, an entire league um, that you have evidence that they blackballed you and blacklisted you and kept you from getting a job. But as time has gone on, it's got it's made us think, well, maybe there is something they have or maybe they do have a smoking gun. And yesterday we found out that even though the NFL tried to stop this and shut this down and say, hey, this is too much just make this go away. 
that the arbitrator was kind of like, wait, hold up, uh, not so fast. There is enough here. We're definitely going to trial. Um, so this is about to get very, very interesting. I'm intrigued. So, Karin, I'm struck by the fact that, um, and I'm sure the NFL did not want this, it's going to trial as we move into the NFL season uh, this year. So uh, I, I guess I would say, what does the NFL stand to lose? Um, and what does Colin Kaepernick himself stand to gain um, if this trial goes in his favor? Well, to start with the NFL, like this could be like a, a death blow. Like, let's think about everything the NFL has dealt with over the last couple of years. You've had domestic abuse multiple times and how they fumbled that. Uh, you have the CTE and the head injuries. You have all these other injuries that star players have succumbed to, like ACLs and all these new rules that people are upset about. You have everything that's going on with the anthem. You have people on the left that are upset, people on the right that are upset. You have demonstrations, you have protests, you have all these issues. And then also like TV deals with ESPN and all this stuff that's just happened with the NFL over the last five to 10 years that have made people turn away. And now this, and if they are caught red handed in a court of law saying that they blackball someone, that could be the, the final blow to a sport that's already dying. If we be, if we're really being honest, if we're looking at the level of kids who are deciding not to play football. Uh, if you go back to like a Pop Warner League and seeing how parents are keeping their away from this sport. And when you look at it from Colin Kaepernick's angle, uh, if he can prove this, if his lawyers, uh, if they come out of the courtroom with the win on this uh, and prove that this has happened, because what a lot of people are also forgetting that Kaepernick's former teammate, Eric Reed, who also kneeled with him, has the same lawyer that Kaepernick has and it's also filed suit against the league. So if Kaepernick wins this case, then Eric Reed is probably going to win this case. And then you have two instances and where two black players that, that kneeled in peaceful protests against the most powerful league in sports um, saying that they got black wall for using their American rights. This may be one of the biggest stories in sports and cultural history. Wow. Yeah, wow. Incredible. Thank you for that context. Um, you know, thinking uh, big picture, as you noted, um, things have not been going well for the NFL for, as you mentioned, so many reasons, and you spoke to its impact on just even young people, like kids playing football, right, um, is becoming something that we can't take for granted. Um, are you, as someone who pays such close attention to sports and football, surprised uh, to see this shift in perception of the NFL? No, because um, every great sport that, that has ever been the dominant sport goes through ebbs and flows. Like if you go back to the 60s and 70s, boxing was king. Boxing was on cable. Everybody watched boxing. The heavyweight division was, was, was the highest thing that you could be in if you wanted to be an athlete. And with uh, as culture and society has changed in the, in the way we look at boxing and we've seen the injuries that boxing has caused, it kind of lost um, its fanfare and luster. And then, you know, pay-per-view and all that got involved with it and kind of turned people away. It, the NFL has just been the king for the last 10, 15, 20 years. And it just seems like with all these issues, it is not necessarily that the NFL has issues. It's that the NFL has been so bad at handling these issues. Mm. And you just kind of see that their reign is about to end. Wow. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for joining us and sharing all that really informative stuff, Karin. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Karin.
All right, Twitter, we want to hear from you. Again, the NFL season is about to start. Where do you stand on the NFL protests? Uh, will you be watching this season? You know, it, it raises a lot of questions. Will you watch the Super Bowl? Uh, tweet us your thoughts about the NFL and these protests using the hashtag AM to DM. Will you be watching? Or? I never watched the NFL. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I grew up in San Diego. NFL, like we had a team, but NFL's mm -hmm. not huge there. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a, t in a family where both of my younger brothers played Pop Warner for like 15 years. And so I think the universe gave me a husband who doesn't watch football because I've seen plenty. <laughs> so we do not watch football in our house except for the occasional USC game, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't really watch football. I will say, you know, I grew up in Texas and, um, and Isaac and I are going to be going on another road trip soon and going to tailgating. Where I grew up where football was just a part of the culture. It was oh, yeah. even less the games. It was more just going out. It was the it's tailgating. The, I mean, Friday Night Lights, it's the big absolutely. event. Absolutely. Yeah. And I grew up in a town very much like that. Um, so I'm interested to see what that's yeah, like. I was thinking while he was talking, I can't imagine American society without football. Interesting. It's such an integral part of our culture, especially in the South, like you mentioned. So Absolutely. it's really interesting. Yeah, so I mean, he brought perspective in I any know. case. He's great. <laughs> well, here's a tweet from writer Darnell Moore. Am I the only person who thinks today should be a national day off for black people so we can watch Aretha's <laughs> homegoing service? No, Darnell, you are not the only one who's thinking that today. Uh, it, it, this is it. I, I'm, I'm so grateful the service is being live streamed. Yeah, we've already seen a few details. We saw some pink Cadillacs driving yeah, it was like a, I think 100 pink Cadillacs? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, well, let's take a look at the live stream and see what's going on. Oh, okay. Oh, it's Bill Clinton. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Bill Clinton, I believe, will be, I know, actually, will be speaking later this morning. I think I saw Jesse Jackson there for yeah. a moment as well. Um, you can watch the live stream via BuzzFeed's Periscope, um, and we'll be keeping an eye on it as well. Um, it's going to be just a really incredible, uh, you know, it's not just a morning, it's an incredible day. Yeah, know, it's a, a cultural event. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, fitting for the queen herself. Uh, well, rest in power, Aretha. We will be right back with Fire Tweets. Okay, so I, I finally tweeted this um, earlier this morning. It's a secret that I've like kept by pretending it wasn't happening. Uh, next Thursday on this show, I will be interviewing Noah Centeno, Peter Kavinsky of To All the Boys. <laughs> I've loved before. We are shook. I, Shooketh. I feel like I'm just going to get really nervous. I'm like, hey. For the last few days, I need to let you know that BuzzFeed staffers have been making all kinds of excuses to like come check on me at my desk <laughs> and just ask me questions. I've been like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, we're, I'm just, this is really exciting. I know. He's really funny and good on Twitter. Uh, so you are already sending me questions and ideas. Uh, <laughs> Continue to send them to me. Uh, and if you, if you haven't seen the movie oh, and you're yeah. on Twitter and you're oh, like, oh my gosh, I haven't, I haven't had time. Whew. Like, definitely watch the film this weekend so you are all ready to stand Peter Kavinsky with us. Because you will. You yeah, may be you like, will. I don't know, this is over, and then you'll watch it and you'll be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, you ready? Let's do it. This is an interesting name, Citizen Piss. Oh. To the tune of Old McDonald. I'm so stressed that sunlight hurts. I am God's mistake. Okay, you did that. <laughs> you did that. This is your second day in a row singing. I have actually sang on this show a lot. Okay. I don't know why. Maybe it's like, it's just, it's the only thing I got in my wheelhouse to be like creative. So I just <laughs> sing. Do you sing a lot at home? No. Okay. Just, only just here. on camera. Only here. Only 
here. <laughs> All right. This tweet comes from Courtney Gilmore. Look, are our faces supposed to be shiny or not? I got matte makeup to stop looking oily, and I got highlighter to look like a marble statue. And now I should be highlighting my nose too? I can't be the sun and also the moon. This country is finished. Yeah, I gotta say, as someone who just, because of the show, have kind of started getting into makeup, shout out to the contour, the star circles, be gone. Uh, it's a little confusing, because the highlighting, it's like a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, some people have highlighter where it's like their whole face is just shining. Mm -hmm. and, and like colors, too, and I'm like, are we supposed to be looking purple? Like the rainbow here? cheeks. I, I like know. it, I think it's fun. You think it's cute? Okay. I love it, All right, I You love have it. a cute highlight, I see oh, it. All right. Thank you, thank you. All right. Who needs LSD when instead you can have low iron and trip out every time you stand up too quickly? As an anemic Ooh. person, I really understand. I'm anemic too, yeah. It's kind of fun. I feel like a lot of people are. Yeah, it's just a little... It's just like sometimes you sit down and you're like, oh. It's a party. Just it's a, fun. It's like a free mimosa. <laughs> um, this tweet comes from Kath uh, Bar Bar Barbadoro. Kath Barbadoro. All right. Something I think non-wrestling fans who follow me should know is that a guy in Japan used to wrestle as a character named Masked Horse. <laughs> and his backstory, <laughs> the Masked Horse, I guess. And his backstory was abandoned by his parents, raised by horses, then abandoned by those horses and raised by a wrestler. <laughs> I mean, that what guy has horses? overcome. What's up with those horses, man? I know, that's really mean. kind of rude. I know. Anyway. You I just, want to know more you about adopt him just to abandon Cold. him again? Yeah. Cold. All right. Grandmother Slime. If I say goodnight and an hour later you see me online, it's not that I lied, it's just that I failed. <sighs> oh yeah, I go to bed and I'm still looking at Instagram stories every like single, 45 minutes every later. Night. In fact, I tweet good, when I tweet goodnight Twitter and I'm like, bye y'all, it's, it's actually me trying to like signal to myself like it's time to shut it down, knowing that it's still gonna be like another 30 minutes. Oh yeah, I've woken up with my phone in my hand. Oh. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh, that's deep. I haven't done that because I'm afraid I'd break it or something. No, no. Ooh. I also am like a super sleeper, so like mm. I, I can just like sleep anywhere. So sometimes I just fall asleep like mid. Okay, in the exact pose. Yeah. Wake. Do you not move at all? Not really. I'm learning so much. <laughs> learning so much. Okay. Tweet of the day. It comes from Beth Newell. You ready? Yep. A guy in my co-working space is defending sharks harder than I've ever heard a man defend any woman. Which. Love that. That's Beth. We had her on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Reductress. She's the best. Oh, yeah. They were funny. She's amazing. They were really funny. I, yeah, what's up with the, I think the sharks are okay. Are they okay? Yeah, they have plenty. They got a whole of, week. They have plenty of good PR. They it's fine. PR. Okay, well, up next, we're going live from the district. And if that doesn't convince you to stick around, maybe this footage of Puffy as well. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Puffies are in the building, so don't go anywhere. They're so ready to be on the show. Oh, and they're so well behaved. Welcome back, friends. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Lysandra Villa. Good morning, Lisa. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Great. That new set looks great. Let's start with this tweet from I, We love it. We oh, love okay. it. <laughs> I think there's a <laughs> bit sure of a delay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's start with this tweet from Roll Call. McCain was a big enough presence to warrant five funerals. That's extra. Lisa, McCain will have a lot of services in Washington over the next few days. So can you break it down? What will be happening and who will be going? Yeah, I, I really can't 
overemphasize how big of a presence John McCain was in Washington, D.C. Um, his he, he is really getting a, a, almost a presidential-like treatment um, in terms of his funeral. So he will be lying in state at the U.S. Capitol today, and there will be speakers like Mitch McConnell, uh, Paul Ryan, and Mike Pence. And, you know, there will be a lot of people in attendance, um, including his 106-year-old mother. Um, so he will be at the Capitol today. There will be a ceremony in the morning starting here at 11. And then later in the day, uh, it'll be opened up for the public. And then you'll see a lot more of that over the weekend. Um, but John McCain was a huge presence. I know you've been hearing about him all week. Um, but it's it's really, you know, there are there's more news to this yeah. because he, he was such a legacy, Absolutely. left such a legacy. Absolutely. Um, Lisa, you know, it's been interesting. And of course, Aretha Franklin memorials going on. I see Pete Davidson there, which is a little weird. Um, the, the, that, that McCain and his family are kind of sending a lot of messages in terms of who is speaking at the memorials, who is not invited. Um, and so I'm struck that obviously Trump is not invited, as we know. But Mike Pence will be speaking, um, and Sarah Palin also is not invited. So what is, how do we read all of this? Right. A lot of people are reading a lot of different things um, as far as who who is uh, invited. So obviously, um, Palin is blamed with uh, how his presidential campaign went by a lot of people. She will not be in attendance. You know, he, he obviously didn't go on to become president. So a lot of people are just sort of looking at it as like sad chapter in his life that doesn't need to be involved now. Uh, Mike Pence will be president, you know, and he, a lot of Republicans really like him, but of course the president isn't going to be there, so it really shows his respect for a more established re Republican rather than Trump world, you know. And then Obama will be speaking, and there's there's a sense of bipartisanship um, that McCain was apparently trying to portray, and who he chose to be speakers. So there is a, a lot of meaning um, that that is being read into into his decisions. Yeah, I think I read in the New York Times maybe that it said that. Trump's aides are kind of sequestering him for the funeral because we know that it's going to be huge tomorrow with right. Obama speaking. You know, Obama rarely speaks in public now. And with George W. Bush, mm -hmm. all eyes are going to be on this event. So where is Trump going to be? Are they keeping him busy? Do you know any details? Yeah, so the New York Times reported that he's going to be in Camp David and that aides are really hoping that uh, he doesn't tweet. You know, and this is something that's proven to be a challenge for the president is whenever there's attention being paid to something else, he always has to bring it back to himself. So can the president stay off of Twitter and let the spotlight be on John McCain and his life and all of his his contributions? Um, and, and that's the big question this week. And really is like, can can Trump let someone else be in the limelight for a second? Especially someone else who he doesn't like by all accounts or yeah. didn't like. I just, it's like, will Trump <laughs> right. tweet about the number of people at his inauguration during McCain's funeral? It's going to be lit. Yeah. <laughs> And of, and of course, there was always that tension between McCain and, and Trump, you know, because McCain sort of went out of his way to stand up against him. So we'll see what happens. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Lisa. We'll definitely be paying attention.
Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thank, Thank you. You, you too. too. All right. Of course, Labor Day weekend. On the other side of the holiday, though, Brett Conf Gaffinaw's confirmation hearings begin on Tuesday. Here's a tweet about that from Vox. The odds are in favor of the U.S. Senate confirming Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. See where every senator stands. Joining us now is BuzzFeed News legal editor Chris Geidner. Chris, good morning. Good morning. Welcome back, Said. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Chris, uh, what are the numbers right now looking like for Kavanaugh's confirmation? I mean, the, the, the problem for Democrats is that the after during the, the Gorsuch nomination, the Republicans got rid of the 60 vote threshold to confirm a Supreme Court justice. It's just a majority now. And the Republicans have the majority. And the fact of the matter is that no Republican senator has suggested they're not going to vote for Kavanaugh's confirmation. And so with that, unless a Republican announces they're not going to, he will be confirmed. But I feel like a lot of Democrats have been acting like they're going to put up this huge fight. Right. So is that not going to happen? I mean, they, they're going to fight. They have been fighting. Um, but it, it's, I mean, they, they don't, unlike some of the legislation that goes through where you have this give and take because of the fact that there's still the, the 60 vote threshold when it comes to, to this, unless they're able to get a senator like Susan Collins, um, or Lisa Murkowski or Jeff Flake, uh, to, to, break ranks with their party on on this key issue to them of the Supreme Court, then the the most that the Democrats can do is sort of make this into an issue going into the election, which is is really what they're doing. They're they're going to be making the case that like Look at what happens when you have the Republicans in charge. Um, and so most of the things that you're going to be hearing during the confirmation hearings are sort of the, these people who are going to be telling us what they don't want from their courts, what they don't want. You've got a, a, a Parkland survivor who's going to be testifying. Um, you, you have John Dean, who was the, the Nixon White House counsel who turned on Nixon eventually. Um, the, these are people who are going to be not trying to convince Republican senators that they shouldn't vote for Kavanaugh as much as trying to tell everybody watching that th this is this is the stakes for the Supreme Court. And then Democrats are going to go out and say, you need to take this power away from Republicans in November. Interesting. So. If we accept that in some ways this is just a foregone conclusion just because of the numbers game, Chris, um, are there any witnesses, and you just mentioned a few of the expected witnesses, that you, um, as someone who will be in the room during the hearings, um, you know, want us to really uh, keep an eye out for? Is there, is there going to be anyone who has like a real impact? I mean, I, I, th I think that, that those two, the, the uh, Cedric Richmond, also the head of the Congressional Black Caucus, is going to be testifying. Um, you, you've got, I mean, John Dean, who, who knows what he's going to say. He's, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. He's a, a rather rambunctious fellow um, and, and has made his views about Trump clear. He's also allegedly been, been talking to Lanny Davis, uh, Michael Cohen's lawyer. Uh, 
in, in recent weeks. And so um, I think that that's sort of a, a forthcoming firework that we think. And I mean, who knows? It's it's 2018. Something could come out. We're still getting emails being released from, from Kavanaugh's time in the White House every day. And so, I mean, I, I would be the last person to say in 2018 that, that we really don't know um, there, or that we absolutely know the outcome because we, we've been proven wrong too many times this year. Um, but I mean, I would watch what, I mean, uh, I would watch what, what people like Senator Flake have to say in the confirmation hearings. Um, we've got Senator Kennedy, who's always, always uh, been willing to sort of push back against the White House in the, on his judicial nominations. And, and so I would watch his questions uh, to see sort of where the, the committee is going. And, uh, and then on the on the Republican side, you've got the heavy hitters who are going to be testifying, and they're not likely to to make uh, sort of Twitter clip news. Um, you've they're, they're sort of the preeminent lawyers. You've got people like Paul Clement, who uh, was the Solicitor General for for President Bush and worked with Brett Kavanaugh. You've got Ted Olson, who um, sort of got some. Uh, some some love from the left when he was one of the lawyers who fought California's Prop 8, but he had also been one of the solicitors general for President George W. Bush. And they're going to be telling people that that Brett Kavanaugh is one of the, the smartest lawyers of his generation and that the, 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 the U.S. would be at a loss if we didn't get him on the court. And they're just going to going to go through that and sort of try to to bulldoze their way through. Uh, and the fact is that unless they lose a vote, they can do that. Well, right. it is 2018, so we're definitely not counting anything out. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. Up next, we have some good boys on set. No, no, not Noah Centineo. He's next week. We have the dog stars of Pick Up the Litter. Stay tuned. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Dana Nachman, co-director of the new documentary, Pick of the Litter, and Tyson, the community field rep for Guide Dogs for the Blind, and most importantly, Gertie, Kakua, and Waggy, who are all training to become guide dogs. And they were kind enough to take time out of their busy schedule to come here and sit down with me. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. So Dana, your documentary follows puppies as they grow to learn to be guide dogs. So what made you want to do a documentary on these dogs? So uh, I had done several stories as a journalist for NBC on Guide Dogs for the Blind, uh, a graduation or puppy raisers, which are the families that take them in to give them training skills. Uh, and we always knew it was such a big story and such an emotional story. So we uh, got the idea to follow one litter from the day they were born to if they make the cut to become Guide Dogs for the Blind. And that's what we did. So obviously it's a little challenging to film. They're being very good right now, knock on wood. But it's very challenging to film puppies. So what was the hardest part of making the documentary for you? The hardest part of filming Pick of the Litter was how fast these dogs walk in training. And so we had big handheld cameras to start, but then we realized that was going to be shaky and horrible. So we developed this camera rig that was a little teeny Sony camera um, on a monopod, on a... Um, uh, 
gimbal on a monopod. So we slid around. We had a lot of doggy, dog eye view, um, lots of things from low or high. And so we had to follow. We were almost running while we were shooting the whole time. Sounds like a good workout, at least. It was a good workout, <laughs> and it was fun. We got to hang out with dogs for two years, so that was awesome. Yeah, sounds like a great job to me. So, Anne, question for you. So, how hard is it for a dog to become a guide dog, and what are the chances that a dog who starts in training will make it actually to become a guide dog? Well, about 40 to 45% of our dogs from whelping to end of training make it as guide dogs. Um, some of the skills they need to have include confidence in all kinds of situations. They have to stay focused around a lot of distractions. Um, they have to want to do the work. Um, a lot of them just really love to be out in public and love to be out with, with people. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different skills that they have to have. So these three are obviously very good dogs. <laughs> Look at them right there. Uh, so what are their personalities like? I think Waggy's a little, the, maybe the most feisty of Waggy the three. That's, that's, oh, when you get involved with a party animal, it's really easy to, you know, get in that influence. <laughs> very young still. So this one that I have right here. Okay. Good girl. Good girl. Good job. They're, they're having a good time. It's AM to DM. This is what we do. Girl. Yeah, it's cute. It's you know, nice. we, we, we're a live show. This is what happens. This is what we're doing. Um, so, so this is so, so this is Gertie. This, this is Kokua. This is Gertie and this is Kokua. Gertie's a year old and Kokua's six months old. Oh. So Gertie tends to be the calmer one unless one of the younger ones gets her going. Um, and Kokua, she's a really good worker, but she also really likes to play. So she's the work hard, play hard kind of gal. Akua, you are a woman after my own heart. So if you don't mind, we just saw we just saw their playtime. Yeah. So now I want to see a little bit of their work. Okay. Uh, can you show me some of the behaviors they've learned? Sure. So Kokua knows how to leave leave food on the ground. So if I put some food on the ground, she'll ignore it. At least that's the idea. Right. Okay. Well, I'll let's, show you that. Let's see how let's see how she does. <laughs> nice. So if she knows she's working, she should be good. Sit down, Gertie, sit. Girl. Nice. Oh, wow, that's restraint I don't have. <laughs> and so I'm rewarding her for ignoring the food. Okay. Nice, and that's an important skill for a guide dog because if they were to take things that weren't safe, their person who's visually impaired may not know. Nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What are some other things she, she's learned? Well, she has a really cute way of putting on her service vest. Okay. Gertie wants to get in the so action I'm gonna take here. it off and then show you how she puts it back on. If you just hold it out like this. Nice. Oh. Put her head right through there. Good girl. She loves, she loves an outfit. She loves to work. <laughs> she loves to get dressed up and go out to play. Good girl. I mean, I like to go out to play. I don't know if I like to go out to work. <laughs> does she have any other any other skills? You know, she does a pretty good stay, if you guys want to see that. Sure. Stay. Oh, what a good girl. Oh, oh my gosh. She is, she's, she's so good already. She, she is. She's a good little girl. Yeah. Okay. So, we've seen the dogs in their element playing with each other. So, but now the fun time's over, guys. I have some hard-hitting questions for you two, Gertie and Kukua. Are you ready? Okay. This one is for, let's see. Let's do Gertie first. 
Okay, Gertie, you ready? Do you think that the thick cat is getting too much attention from this show? All right, all right, <laughs> all right, there we go. I mean, strong, strong words, but I can't say I disagree. Okay, we've got another one for you, Kukula. Are you ready? Who do you like better, Peter Kavinsky or Josh Sanderson? <laughs> Duh, Peter Kavinsky, hello. Thank you, Dana, and uh, all of you guys. Pick of the Litter is in theaters now. Up next, more Antidia. <laughs> It's so much fun with those dogs. Best Friday ever. <laughs> well, Newsweek published this. Gravitational waves could collide, sucking Earth into a black hole. Ooh. And the timeline erupted in responses ranging from, let's do this, to, Alexa, what's the best news of the week? Ouch, that's just sad. Dan Vergano, BuzzFeed News and Science reporter, is here to break down what exactly is happening happening. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Great to be here. Good to talk to you. <laughs> so, okay, what are gravitational waves and how long will it take for them to collide and suck us all into a black hole, ending this nightmare? Uh, it can't happen soon enough, uh, seems to be what everybody's saying, um, but we're probably going to have to wait a long time. Uh, gravitational waves are actually what uh, Einstein called ripples in the fabric of space and time. Uh, they are uh, waves that pass through space and they essentially stretch the dimensions of space. It's like you were standing on a football field and this ripple came towards you and suddenly the distance between the yard markers, if that's too much of a sports metaphor, just suddenly stretched and then went away as it went past you. Uh, they're pretty wacky and wild, uh, but yeah, we don't seem to see them making uh, black holes very often. This is a, a kind of an interesting physics idea. So how do black ho holes normally form? So normally, the most common way it seems to be is uh, stars collapse and they form them. So a star is just a big furnace, right? And it's burning, 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 and all this gas is going on. And then it runs out of gas and the thing implodes. It falls in on itself. And if it's got enough mass, about three times as much mass as our sun, it falls in so deeply it creates what we call a black hole, which is a collapsed star uh, whose gravity is so intense that around it light can't escape. Uh, but it's still essentially doing star stuff. It's just uh, not shining brightly at all. It's sucking up light around it. So we have a tweet here from Space Explorer Mike, who said the closest black hole to Earth is only 1,600 light years away. Is this accurate? How close is the closest black hole to us? Uh, well, back in 1999, when they found the thing, they thought that. But actually, that black hole they're talking about is about 15 times farther away. Um, if you're asking, like, the closest one that we know about for sure is about 3,000 light years away, where a light year is 5.9 trillion miles. That's a long, that's a lot of miles. Uh, and we only, that one I only know about because they sent a message after Stephen Hawking's signal to it to say hello. <laughs> they really did. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Some people have funerals like John McCain's. Some people have funerals like, you know, Stephen Hawking's. They're a little different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
so what would happen if like we did get sucked into a black hole? Do we, I mean, do we have any idea or is it just going to be a fun surprise for us? Oh yeah, there's like a whole, yeah, there's a whole like wacky, you know, science fiction genre devoted to this. Uh, if it wasn't a big enough, if it was a small enough black hole, you'd be spaghettified where you'd like, the, your feet, the gravity would be so much stronger than your head that you'd be stretched out like an accordion as you fell into the thing. Uh, which is, for some reason, science fiction writers like to think about a lot. Uh, you know, we should be so lucky to see one up close. It would be really cool to study it. Uh, hopefully not so close that you fall into it, yeah. How close would one have to be for us to be able to study it? And could we ever study it, potentially? I guess the limits of science are vast, but... Well, the one that's, that, that is closest to us, we are studying a little bit. Um, because what happens is these suckers get big dust, uh, debris things around them, and those things get spun up to near the speed of light, and they start shooting x-rays and all kinds of crazy stuff off of them. So we can look at that, and that tells us a little bit about the behavior of the black hole. But to look inside of it is, like, by definition impossible, because nothing can escape from its, you know, grasp. And so uh, it's basically left to physics papers like this one. This idea of colliding black holes has been around since the 1970s. I'm sorry, colliding gravitational waves causing black holes has been around since the 1970s. And this latest paper is just kind of a riff on that idea. Um, and there's a giant, a supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy, which is a really amazing thing. And we're trying to take close looks at that. It's going to be the next 10, 20 years before we get closer looks. But peering inside, that's going to be a tough one. Still super cool that we're looking and actually getting to study this stuff. Okay, so TLDR, for everyone who was reading this on Twitter yesterday, in your professional opinion, is this the end or not? No such luck. Yeah, we got to keep going. Um, the, uh, we're safe for now. We just don't see gravitational waves colliding and making black holes, even though it's a really cool idea. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to live on for another day. <laughs> Sorry to be a bummer. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Well, thank you for coming on and letting us know this is not the end. Up next, Saeed is answering your questions on Dear Ferocity. All right, it's Friday. You know what that means. It's time for Dear Ferocity, where I ask questions that you have sent me and DM'd um, about life problems. Um, and this advice is off the top of my head, so good luck, y'all. Um, as most of you know, or maybe don't, um, I was a high school teacher. My last full-time job before I started working at BuzzFeed in 2013 was teaching ninth and 12th grade English at a wonderful high school in Newark, New Jersey, and now I'm here. Uh, so we're going to talk about changing careers. Let's get into it. My biggest hurdle has been fear in terms of changing careers. I will likely apply to graduate school, try to keep my debt low, but still enter into an industry that is not secure. How do you reframe the endeavor so that you don't feel so scared? I worry that I spend too many hours in my head analyzing rather than strategizing and moving, moving forward confidently. Okay. Lot here, uh, and this is this is you. First of all, you're not alone. You're not the only person that feels this way. Most people feel this way, and the ones who don't have these anxieties are lying to themselves or assholes. Know that. Be comforted. Um, also, no industry is secure. That, that, that we we have to understand that 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 the tumult and and the lack of a safety net, unfortunately, is what it means to be working in America. Welcome to late capitalism. Um, so I would say. 
it is perfectly reasonable to be anxious, to have fears. These are well-founded concerns that you have about making a change. Um, but I would argue that it is important to, uh, to refocus your attention on the value, on the mission um, that is driving you to make that change. Whatever is um, the impetus for you shifting careers, focus on that. Like it's like the fear, the anxiety, all of that is real and will be with you, right? But it will help you to go like, yes, this is true, but let me tell you what's more important to me. Doing a job that is more in line with my everyday values or doing a job that allows me to bring in more income to support myself and my family. Focus on that. Um, the, feels the, the fear uh, does not mean what you're doing uh, isn't important. And I will tell you, when I was going through this transition, I was anxious and freaking out every step of the way until I had my first paycheck, okay? Um, but I kept that to myself and I just kept pursuing it because I did really believe in, in the change. Um, okay. I've worked six years at my job in an industry I love with the best coworkers. That's wonderful. Um, but I think mid and entry level employees are completely undervalued. Undervalued. I'm overworked, burnt out, uh, and it's taking a toll on my mental health. I feel guilty leaving, like I'm abandoning my coworkers, like it's a reflection of my work ethic. How do I get over this guilt? Okay. Whew. I think what you're going through is something a lot of people go through, particularly if they're working in like nonprofit and the arts, certainly education fields where um, maybe it's easier to see a connection between your job and um, like positive social impact. I think guilt comes in a lot. I felt this. Um, one, uh, you're not going to be able to save your coworkers. And unless you are, you know, the, the CEO or, or the president of whatever organization you're working at, you are actually, you know, very limited in how you can, you know, positively impact your workers, your coworkers' lives for better or worse. There's only so much you can do. And as you note, you are one of the burnt out, overextended people. So I would say that isn't a uh, productive space for you to be in anyway. And I would argue in the long term, my dream for you is that you're able to leave um, and find a role that you are able to thrive in and to become someone who can make industry level change, systemic change. And that requires having more capital, having more influence, you know, in, in a different space. So I think, you know, we have to be realistic and you can uh, encourage and inspire your coworkers from a distance. But if they're miserable now, I don't see how you continuing to be miserable alongside them is, is actually going to help them. Um, I wish you the best. Uh, one more, this is a little more general. Hello, I've been following you for a long time. Hi, uh, I'm a high school teacher getting ready to leave for a career in journalism. Um, how did you make the transition? Um, whew, okay, we'll do this quickly. Um, uh, I mean, my, it, was, it was a bit of being forced out. My mother passed away very suddenly um, towards the end of the school year, and I needed to take time uh, to grieve and to, to kind of reassess my life. And as I took that time, one of the only things I could do really uh, was write, uh, as I was kind of just, it was the only thing that I could kind of control um, as I was kind of taking that time to grieve. And I realized that I was more invested and really committed to like the work I was doing as a writer um, and I liked 
the the freedom of expression I have. I like that I suddenly wasn't worrying about, can I curse in this tweet? Can I talk about politics in this way? You know, will it be an issue at the school? Um, I like what I was able to pursue. And uh, someone on Twitter, actually Chris Geithner, who was on the show earlier this morning, I've been following him on Twitter, he sent me the job posting for the LGBT editor position via a direct message. Um, and he told me to apply. And he kept telling me to apply because I was really scared. I didn't have a journalism degree. Um, but he saw what I was doing and he saw the work. And I'll just never forget, um, when I walked in for my interview with Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief here at uh, BuzzFeed News, the first thing he said is, I love this essay you publish in The Rumpus. That's exactly the kind of essay I would like to publish here. So it was luck, right? It was pursuing mission. It was, you know, some kind of, you know, I would say misfortune, just kind of being pushed into a different circumstance. Um, but I will say, I believed in the value of what I was doing. I believed in the value of the decisions I was making. And when peers like Chris Geithner and future mentors and employers like Ben Smith spoke and reflected the value in what I was doing, I pursued it. Um, and I think if we're fortunate enough, um, when that door opens, there's some people going, come on in. Um, so that's a very concise version of my story. Uh, thank you for your questions. I, I got so many responses, so I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to navigate change. You can always tweet me using the hashtag Dear Ferocity. You can DM me questions, um, and I'll answer more of them next week. When we come back, Stephanie and I are going to read your tweets. We're just watching the live stream of the memorial currently ongoing for Aretha Franklin. Um, it looks like the viewing of the casket has begun. Yeah, I don't think we've started with the full presentation yet, but um, people are just kind of getting settled. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I frankly look forward to uh, being able to sit down and, and, and spend some time watching the live stream. Um, and, and, and I know people were tweeting about this, but seeing like Bill Clinton... Pete Davidson, Ariana Grande, Jesse yeah. Jackson, the win. But I, I will just say it's, um, and it made me think of um, uh, when Michael Jackson uh, died and, mm -hmm. and that uh, funeral service was uh, live streamed as well. What you see is you realize like, oh my goodness, these people were at the center of American culture. And when you're at the center yeah. of American culture, that means all of these unexpected threads, like Bill Clinton standing next to an SNL comedian standing next to a pop star. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Bill Clinton is speaking. Mm -hmm. He is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you don't think about all these people being connected, but they are. Right, and, and, and the life. I mean, Aretha Franklin, I mean, that's one thing I think that's just so incredible about her experience. Think about all the rooms oh, that yeah. woman was in, the conversations, the dignitaries and, and, and artists and, and politicians she got to meet and engage with. I mean, it, that's, that's a life. I was thinking in, in um, Sula by Toni Morrison, there's a line, I sure did live in this world, is mm -hmm. what Sula says toward the end of her life, and I feel like, Aretha Franklin can say that. And I think yeah. the performances are gonna be beautiful as well. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we have tweets all about Aretha. Starfire says, I'm trying not to turn the volume up too loud in the office, but we are going to church today. Listen, I think Yolanda Adams is performing. I think I saw Jennifer Hudson. 
Shirley Caesar, somebody's taking us to the mountaintop. I don't Ariana, know who. Listen. Which is like, why I guess Pete Davidson's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's Pete, and, and I, behave, Pete. Sit down, be quiet, keep your hands in your lap. Uh, here's a tweet from Langston Blues. We should go, we should do an Aretha homecoming, homegoing bingo for all the ways people are gonna justify going over their time. God put this on my heart. Oh, I remember hearing that at a few funerals. Um, as I was meditating this morning, being mindful of the hour, as I close. <laughs> there is something, I mean, you know, we don't stop being human at funerals. And, and so like all of the things that, that manifest, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, I don't know. That's why I like the idea of the home going. It, it makes it yeah, less that's, sorrowful. That's a lovely phrase. I mm -hmm. mean, I've, I don't know, I haven't really heard mm -hmm. that before. It's yeah. nice. People are saying that instead of, you know, like hashtag funeral or right. something like that. Absolutely. And it is interesting. I mean, we're gonna hear Bill Clinton speak today. We're gonna hear, you know, two other former presidents speak tomorrow. It's a lot a, of pastors. Yeah, so it's, it's gonna mm. be a big weekend with a lot of powerful people speaking out. So I'm yeah. And it is, and I know we've kind of been talking about this, but it is fascinating. Uh, John McCain, Aretha same Franklin, same, like, within, so like, odd. same time, and then both dying, you know, kind of um, expectedly. And I only say that in that there's been time to. They're both ill. To, yeah, ill, and time for people to begin to think about mm -hmm. what these iconic public figures kind of meant and, and, and the way that kind of informs. Uh, what we're seeing unfold this weekend. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, well, the native son says, I am so ready for the vocal slayage that I am about to receive. They better do the queen justice. I should have paid my respects and went to Detroit. Yeah, have you seen, are there a lot of fans outside? That's something I don't I know, I have, you know, we were getting ready for the show yeah. this morning, so I actually haven't gotten time to see. I just, I gotta say, whew, what a, I mean, what an honor to be asked to perform at uh, Aretha Franklin's funeral, but also what a, yeah. Hi, woo -hoo, woo -hoo. You think like, super <laughs> seasoned performers are probably a little nervous. Yeah, I just, I don't know. How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for that? Anyway, uh, I'll be watching it with y'all. Um, well, thank you to all of our guests today. Branson LB, uh, Karen, uh, Karen J. Phillips, Lysandra Villa, Chris Geithner, Dan Vergano, Dana Mockman, and the dogs for the blind. Dogs were so cute. <laughs> dogs. Uh, Stephanie, thank you for co-hosting with me this my week. My pleasure, my pleasure. It's thank you guys pleasure. so much for welcoming me to your timeline and always Hanging being out. super sweet and engaging with party. me. I love being here. Part of the party. Um, next week, y'all, get ready. Uh, we have Nick Dodani, DeRay McKesson, Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues, and yes, Noah Centineo is coming on the show. Lil Rel as well, we love Lil Rel. Guys, uh, keep tweeting your ideas for questions and everything. Keep it PG-13. Here's the thing, when you tweet these nasty tweets, PG he can see it. only. He can see it. Oh, you can do R-rated, I don't really care. Uh, just uh, DM me. <laughs> anyway, Isaac and I will be back on Tuesday. Have a wonderful Labor Day Bye. weekend, you nasty.